thank you ladies for uh, sharing and reminding us uh, today that God is in our story and uh, God is the central figure and central character in our story and we are grateful for that. And I'm grateful to be able to be back with you here at uh, First Baptist Church on the square today. And thank you for allowing me to do that and sharing God's word with you today. I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bible, to turn to Acts chapter 1 this morning. I think you'll also find a lot of these scriptures are going to be on the screen as we go through this, but uh, it's always good to have your copy of God's Word open and a place where maybe uh, you can take a a few notes as we walk through today. I thought it would be a great opportunity for us to talk about this idea of waiting. While we wait, I hate to wait. Uh, I don't know anybody that enjoys waiting. just think about the times that we spend waiting in our lives. Some of us wait in, um, in lines at the grocery store. Uh, we wait to be served in restaurants. Um, I don't know what it is about our pharmacy, but our pharmacy, we wait uh, in line pretty often. Stop signs and stoplights, we wait. We wait for rides at amusement parks. We wait to watch a movie. We wait for flowers to bloom. We wait for babies to be born. We wait for the repairman to eventually show up. Uh, we wait forever online. We get on customer service and it seems like there's nobody on the other end of the line. And I think what bothers us most of the time about waiting is we kind of don't know what to do with ourselves during that time. We don't know how we are to behave or what we are to do while we wait. And I wonder sometimes how Acts chapter 1 verse 4 might have gone over with the disciples or the apostles. Jesus looked at them and he says he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise. Peter, James, and John are your typical personality, typical person, uh, type A personalities. These guys were not patient guys. I can't see them getting very fired up about the plan that Jesus had laid out. They're there to stay and there to wait. But we see it often in Scripture. It is often given to the believers as instructions. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. It's like a repeated refrain over and over again in Scripture. Well, in Acts chapter 1, the disciples are waiting on God's power. Jesus had just given them the assignment. They're to take the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. They're to take it to the entire world. But how could they do that? Never going to be able to accomplish that apart from the power given to them through the Holy Spirit as Jesus Christ had promised. And so now they are instructed to wait. Now, You may not be waiting on that this morning, necessarily. It may not be your place. You may be waiting on any number of things. You may be waiting for God to uh, provide for you a husband, or you may be waiting for God to provide children as uh, a couple, or for God to provide a job. You may be waiting for a wayward child to come back home and finally discover that God really is what is most important in their life. You may be waiting to buy a home or sell a home. You may be in one of those waiting periods. Maybe you're waiting to get out of debt, or you're waiting to heal a hurt, or you're waiting for God to heal your body. Maybe you're waiting for God to give you direction in some specific area in your life, and you're just trying to figure out what are the next steps, and you're waiting on God's instruction in your life. Maybe you're in one of those waiting periods. Maybe I would say to you as a church this morning, you're waiting for a pastor. What's that next chapter going to look like? How's it going to play out? And I I do find waiting times to be difficult. During those times, I want something to do. I want to be active. I can't just sit here and do nothing. 
And the good news is that in the Christian life, this instruction to wait is not waiting by doing nothing. There are things that we do during that time of waiting. In fact, when the Bible says we're to wait on the Lord, it's not asking us to be passive, but it's asking us to be active in this process. And so I want to show you four things the apostles did while they're waiting on the Holy Spirit. Four things that we ought to be doing as we're waiting on God in whatever area it is in our life, and certainly as a church, as, as uh, you wait on or for that next pastor. Here's the first thing we do while we wait. You'll see it in the Acts chapter 1, but it is, it is the word obey. We are to obey. In Acts chapter 1, verse 12, it says, Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Now, Sabbath day's journey was about a mile, a little less than a mile. It was a distance that a Jew was allowed to travel round trip on a Sabbath day. So they called it a Sabbath day's journey. In this case, when the apostles took this journey, they were taking the the very step, the step of the very specific obedience in what Jesus Christ had told them to do. He had told them exactly that, go and wait in Jerusalem. If you look back at verse 4, where did Jesus tell them to wait? He waits in, he says, wait in the city of Jerusalem. Now, if I'm one of those guys, I'm thinking to myself, and I might even say to Jesus, Jesus, you've got to be kidding. Why Jerusalem? Jerusalem would not have been the safest place to be as one of the followers of Jesus Christ. It had not been too long since Jesus Christ had been crucified and all of the events took place or started to take place in the city of Jerusalem itself. And so I would have thought anything else. I probably would have had maybe a suggestion or two. Jesus, okay, we'll we'll step into this waiting time that you're asking us to step into, but I've got some ideas. Maybe we could stay in some other places. Why Why not Bethany? Bethany had been a place where the disciples had been a number of times. It was pretty close to the city of Jerusalem. It was like a suburb of Jerusalem. And so it was just outside the city. I mean, Jesus, we can go to Bethany. It's close by. Whatever it is that we're supposed to be doing in the city of Jerusalem, I I think we can accomplish that over in Bethany. We can stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. We've been in their home a few times. And man, what a great miracle that was when you raised Lazarus from the dead. But Lord, why why can't we just go to Bethany? And I don't know about you, but this is what I found to be true. When it comes to obedience, it is easier to obey what God has asked me to do when it makes sense, all right? When logically I can put it together. And yet I find that the very place that I learn obedience best is when it doesn't make sense. And waiting on the Lord so often means that he's asking me to do something that just doesn't make sense. At least in my little finite human mind, I can't figure out why would God put me here and in this place and in this time. But the apostles did just that. In fact, in Acts chapter 24, or Luke chapter 24, we're told that they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. That's how I want to be obedient. I kind of put this down as a key to this particular section, and it is, when you are waiting, just do the next thing. Do the next thing. So by simply doing the next thing and returning to Jerusalem, the apostles are now putting themselves, and this is key for all of us, they're now putting themselves in the position to be able to receive that for which they are waiting. So i got to do what God's told me to do, what I know to do, what God has already set out for me to do in order for God to get me to the next place in my life or to give me whatever that is that I may be waiting on from the Lord. That's what all of us want to do, right? I want to position myself. 
I want to put myself in the place where I have the greatest opportunity to be able to receive whatever it is that God is wanting to do in my life. So my question for you this morning is, so what is your next thing? The thing that you know to do. The thing you know to do. Now watch this. Just obey what you know. Do the thing you know to do. And we're going to talk about in a few moments about how we kind of figure some of that out. But just do the thing that God has laid out obviously in front of you and take that step. Yeah, but Mark, I can't see the other step beyond that. That's okay. Just take the next step and trust God for the rest. Here's the second thing we do while we wait on the Lord, and that is fellowship. Fellowship. Look at verse uh, 13, Acts chapter 1. It says, when they arrived... They went to the room upstairs where they were staying. And then it gives a list of names. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, Judas the son of James. And they were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. And in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people who were together was about a hundred and 20. And so the list right there in verse 13, what that is, you have the 11 surviving apostles. Judas has now already taken his own life, so he's not a part of that. But you got the 11 guys remaining behind. So who is it with them in the room besides the 11 apostles? Verse 14 tells us, right? It says they were the, there were the women. Probably Mary Magdalene, probably um, Martha and Mary, the sisters. There were some others there. We have mentioned by name, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she's there. We also have a reference uh, to, uh, to the half-brothers of Jesus, which, by the way, the half-brothers of Jesus, watching him in his entire lifetime, they never follow him as Savior until the resurrection. And after the resurrection, you see your brother come back from the dead. I think that's going to say something to you, right? So they see, see his brother come back from the dead. So they put their faith and trust in him as their Savior. And then there were about, as it tells us in verse 15, there were about 120 in total. Now listen, the key for this group is what it tells us in verse 14. I want you to see this. It says they were continually united. Some of your translation says, says uh, they were all of one accord. And you see this, this same phrase used over and over. Go back, read through the book of Acts. You see it in the book of Acts, describing the early church over and over again. How did the early church accomplish everything the early church accomplished? Well, one of the keys is they were of one accord. They were united. It means of one mind. It means all together. We would refer to this as oneness. And again, that word united, which fits right there in the verse. But here is the key to remember. The key here is the Christian life is not just about believing it is about belonging. And we talked a good bit about this last week, but I pointed out in this passage, it's God's intention. Now, once we have believed, that is to believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior, then we are to belong to a group. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 says, let us be concerned about one another in order to promote love and good works, not staying away from our meetings, as some habitually do, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So we're not to avoid each other, Scripture says. We are to encourage each other. I don't mean this morning, I, I, I just kind of lay this out, but it blows me away how a person can say that I am a follower of Jesus Christ, they commit their life to Jesus Christ, and yet turn their back on his bride, the church. 
If you tell me you love my wife, Leanne, if you say, man, she means everything, she means uh, uh, the world to me, and yet you turn your back on her spouse, there's going to be a problem with that. And that's what Jesus is, is, uh, is teaching us here. Actually, by the way, even before COVID, I know COVID's out, and for physical reasons, some people can't be present. I get that. I understand that. We certainly have grace in that. But even before COVID, you couldn't find half the church members on a Sunday morning in worship. And certainly not in, in groups as we build our lives in each other. Please know, it's my intent, again, not to be critical of anyone this morning, but we were, we were made to do this thing called Christianity with other people. It's never been a solo sport. God never intended us to do this alone. I've been a pastor. I served as pastor for over 25 years. I never have talked to anybody that had a season in their life when they kind of stepped away from church. They came back to me and said, you know, pastor, while I was away from church, I mean, that was the most amazing time, me and God, and the way that I grew in my faith. That was a high watermark for me spiritually. I've never had anybody tell me that. But I cannot tell you, I cannot count the number of times. But I've had conversations with people that have kind of dropped out of church for a while, and suddenly life goes upside down, and they would say to me, you know, Pastor, I know I really need to get back in church. It's kind of the way this thing is designed to work. And it's always a matter of advanced decision-making, is it not? If I wait until Sunday morning to decide whether or not I'm coming, I probably ain't coming. So I've got to make that decision the night before to say, man, I, I need to make sure that I'm there with God's people, worshiping together, meeting together as God encourages us to do. Somebody might say, well, what's wrong with missing a Sunday? You don't want to get legalistic about it. I'm not saying there's something wrong with missing a particular Sunday. But I, know that, I do know this. I don't always like it when I go to the doctor and the doctor says to me, Mark, you should be exercising more. Mark, you need to get on a better diet. You need to be eating better foods. But I do appreciate the fact that there are those in my life that love me enough and care about me enough to be able to speak the truth into my life. But the only way I get that is I've got to show up, Right? I've got to be there with a doctor for him to be able to have that conversation with me. So I, I want that. I, I would just say this about, about this. Listen, and we leave it right here. If you want the trajectory of your life spiritually to always be in a growth pattern, and sometimes I know we've got to dip a little bit, but if, it's, if you want that to be consistently growing, this is a critical part. If there is something here about meeting together that there are things that can happen with me and in me that will not happen when I'm alone. It's just something about, a few moments ago, I just stopped, just listened to, listened to people singing over me, over the top of me. And there's something about that that I, I can't get anywhere else. This is a place where I have the unique opportunity to be able to invest my time and my talents and my treasure in the kingdom. I can't do that alone. And so God has designed this thing to work together. I put this down as a key. If I'm going to grow spiritually... I must build key relationships with other Christians. If I'm going to grow spiritually, I have to have some key relationships with other Christians. All, all of us need somebody to disciple us and to mentor us. I still have people in my life 
that are discipling me, that are mentoring me, someone that is investing in us. I, we, all of us need that. I'm not talking about somebody that's going to try to control your life or somebody that's going to try to shove spiritual things down your throat. That's not what we're talking about here. It is someone that has been where I want to go spiritually. And there are people in my life to this day, there are guys that still to this day that I look to for this kind of lead, uh, leadership and guidance in my life, to be able to say, Mark, this is, this is what you're seeing, this is what you're sensing, and, and I've already been down that journey, and so let me kind of help you walk through that. I want somebody that has weathered the storms that I'm about to walk into. I was a few moments ago, a young lady saying about God being a part of the story and the storms that we're walking through. Yes, absolutely. And I need somebody else that I can call on the phone. Or somebody else that I can FaceTime, somebody that I can talk to, go sit down and have a cup of coffee with and say, man, here's, here's what's going on with me. Where am I going to find those relationships? We find them in, isn't this magical? We find them in church, right? More specifically, we'll find these in, in small groups. You can't just slide in, slide out and worship service on Sunday and expect to find these kind of relationships. These are kind of relationships that you find in, I think you call yours grow groups or connection groups or whatever you call yours to be able to get into a smaller group of people and say man I just want to I want to meet you I want to get to know you I want you to get to know me it's critical that's where you meet someone that you can walk alongside like this so whatever waiting you're doing whatever period you're in in your life obey what you know to do next Build into key relationships with people that are going to help you grow, that are going to challenge you, that have been where you're about to go, and lean into those relationships. Seek out people that are going to invest in you spiritually. I won't be afraid to tell you, you probably need to exercise more spiritually. You probably need a different diet spiritually. Now, I appreciate people like that in my life. Here's the third thing we do while we wait is to pray. And it would be impossible to overstate the role of prayer in the early church or in the book of Acts. Almost every chapter in the book of Acts mentions prayer in one way or another. Again, I challenge you, go back and read the entire book and see if that's not true. But look at verse 14 again in particular. It says, they were all continually united in prayer. Literally, it says they stuck to praying. Corporately and individually, they were committed to prayer. What are these people praying for? Is there waiting in the upper room for the Holy Spirit to come? What, what do you think they might be waiting for? Well, it could be that they're are praying for. What do you, it could be that they're praying for the promise that Jesus has made. And you say, well, why would they pray for the Holy Spirit if Jesus has already made that promise? You do know that all the way through Scripture, there are promises God has given to us that we still pray for. I know that God has promised He's going to provide, but I am still going to be praying, right, for God to provide for me. I know there's some things that I need to be praying for, even though they are given to us in Scripture. They could have been praying for Judas's replacement. You're going to see in a few moments that they kind of had to walk through that process and look at that. But the idea here is they waited prayerfully. Do you know what waiting reminds me of? It reminds me I'm not in charge. I'm not in charge. You know when I go to the restaurant and they hand me that little buzzer thing? and tell you, we're going we're gonna to buzz that little buzzer when you're ready. Who's in charge? Am I in charge? No. She's in charge, or he's in charge, whoever the host or hostess may be. They're the ones now that are in charge. They're not waiting for me. I'm waiting for them. 
And when I am waiting on God, it reminds me that God is the one that is in charge. I'm not in charge. E. Stanley Jones once says, prayer is surrender. Surrender to the will of God in cooperation with that will. Think of prayer like this. If you're in a small boat close to the shore, you want to get to the shore, you take a rope, it's got a hook on the end of the rope, and you throw that rope to the shore, and you begin to pull, are you pulling the boat to the shore, or are you pulling the shore to the boat? You say, well, of course, I'm pulling the boat to the shore. Well, in the same way, prayer is not pulling God to my will. But rather it is aligning my will to God. It's when we pray that we begin to gain God's perspective. We get God's heart on something. And now I realize, wait a minute. The reason I'm struggling here is not because God has moved. It's because I've moved. And I want to align my life with what God is saying to me. I think you could safely say the single most important activity for people that are waiting on God is prayer. You can, you can do a lot of things during this transitional time. But there's nothing more important than spending time in prayer. Someone said hope, H-O-P-E, is holding on, praying expectantly. Where do I find hope? Holding on, praying expectantly. First Baptist Church on the square, you're, you're in a season of waiting. You're in a season of waiting. I think a great prayer during this time in which you're waiting is, Lord, help me not, help us not to waste this opportunity while we wait. Lord, you've given me this opportunity to be able to spend in, in, in waiting time, and you're waiting for me, Lord, to, to grow during this time. God, help me not to miss what you're trying to do. Help us as a church not to miss what you're trying to say and what you're trying to do. So what do you know to do? Seek out the relationships of those that are ahead of you on the journey and pray and pray and pray. And finally, the last one is study. That's probably ought to pick a better word, a little smoother word there. But let me just show you what I'm talking about. Beginning of verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers and sisters. The number of people were uh, together was about 120. And they said, brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the Scripture be fulfilled, that the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was one of our number and shared in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with his unrighteous wages. He fell headfirst, his body burst open, and his intestines spilled out. That's probably not one we want to exegete this morning, that particular phrase, but you get the idea. This became known to all the residents of Jerusalem so that in their own language, that field is called Hakodama, that is, a field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, let, a, let his dwelling become desolate. Let no one live in it and let someone else take his position. Therefore, from among the men who have, accomplished, uh, uh, who have accompanied us during the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day he was taken up from us, from among these it is necessary that one become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so they proposed two. There was Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also known as Justice, and there was Messiah. And then they prayed, You, Lord, know everyone's hearts, Show which of these two you have chosen to take the place in, his, in this apostolic ministry that Judas left to go where he belongs. And then they cast lots for them, and the lot fell to Matthias, and he was added to the eleven disciples. 
What I want you to see is Peter here now. He's kind of a natural leader. Peter steps up into this leadership role and takes the lead. He's had this colossal failure in denying Jesus Christ, and he is forgiven, right? The others are responding now to his leadership. And in verses 16 and 17, Peter makes reference to some scriptures that have been fulfilled. If you look at verse 16 again, it says, Brothers and sisters, it was necessary that the scripture be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit through the mouth of David foretold about Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. The Holy Spirit, through the mouth of David, he's talking to Peter's talking here about the inspiration of Scripture. And by the inspiration of Scripture, this is what I mean. It means that God so superintended the writers of Scripture that they wrote what God wanted them to write and they were kept from error in doing so. The theologians talk about inspiration in two ways. One, they'll talk about the inspiration that the writers just wrote down God's ideas, ideas that originated with God. But there's a second kind of inspiration they talk about, and that is verbal inspiration, not just the ideas, but the very words that God himself inspired. Mark, what do you believe about Scripture? Well, I believe what the Scripture teaches about itself, that it was inspired word for word by the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 can be no clearer than that. Those that were writing Scripture were writing the very words that God had written, that God wanted written. Peter even talks about this in one of his letters in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21. It said, because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, moved by the Holy Spirit, men spoke from God. Now, this is what's important about all of that. You can forget all of that stuff if that's not what you're into, but here's what I know. You can have confidence in this book. You can know that God spoke and the writers wrote. And so what do I do while I am waiting? Well, I study or I spend time in the Word. Verse 20 says, for it is written in the book of Psalms, and then he goes on to quote one of the Psalms. He's quoting from the Old Testament. How does Peter know to do that? Because Peter had spent time in the Word. And when the time was right, when the, when the pressure was suddenly now on, and they're waiting on the Holy Spirit, Peter goes back to what he knows. He goes back to the Word of God. Luke tells us after the resurrection, Jesus spent some pretty focused time teaching the disciples the Scripture. In Luke 24, verse 40, 44, it says, Then he told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And so here's what I think is happening. You got Peter and you got the others. They're searching the Scripture. While they're waiting on God, they're waiting on God to give the promise that God had promised to them. And they're searching the prophecies related to the coming of the Holy Spirit and all the events that are surrounding the, 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 the stuff that is going to happen. And they're studying the Word of God. So let me just say this. If you're in one of those times of waiting and whatever it is you're waiting for personally or you as a church are, during, are, are waiting on something from the Lord, just allow time for God to speak to you through His Word. And God, what are you saying to us? What are you teaching us? And I always said to people, listen, if you, if you have days or months or years that you're waiting for God to do a particular thing in your life, that's the time God is giving you to invest, to know God better through the study of His Word. So often we'll go through a waiting time and it'll be a year, a year and a half, or whatever it might be for you. And you get to the other end of that waiting time and you are no closer to the Lord than you were at the beginning. That is a waste. 
It is always true. With a song said a few moments ago that God is always doing things in those waiting times in our life so that we get to know Him better. So if you're waiting right now, you're in a sweet spot. You have an incredible opportunity to get to know the Lord better. You as a church, during a transition time, you're in a sweet spot. Now's the time to draw together, united, getting to know the Lord better. So what do I do while I wait? I obey, I fellowship, I pray, and I study, and this is what I can promise you. God's never been late. God has always been on time. And He'll be on time with you and with your church. Would you bow your heads with me for a few moments this morning? In just a few moments, Anthony will come back. He'll lead us in song. And as, we, as he does this morning, there'll be ministers available here at the front. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally, I want to invite you to come today and make that decision. But today is also a day for the church. And just praying for your church and your leaders. We left off last, last week right here in the same spot. I just want to encourage you to do that again this morning. And patience while waiting on the Lord, but also active and not passive. Lean in, don't lean out. And see what God will do. I'm going to pray. Anthony will lead us. You come as the Lord leads. Father, thank you for our time together today in your word. God, I pray if there's someone here and he's to take a step of obedience today by responding to you and to your word this morning, then I pray that you give them the boldness and the courage to be able to do just that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us this morning?